Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight on Piers Morgan, I censored Luis Rubiales sensationally quits in a world-exclusive interview with me for this program. He's kissed goodbye to his job, his reputation, but does he deserve to now kiss goodbye to his liberty? So tonight, Rory Stewart is the rarest beast in British politics. He seems to unite right and left, and people actually rather like him. He joins me live to explain this extraordinary state of affairs. And George Pataki was governor of New York in his darkest hour. On 9-11, we'll ask what's happened to the unity that that tragedy inspired. Live from the News Building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. It's the kiss that became a crisis, the infamous World Cup clinch between Spain's football chief, Luis Rubiales, and Jenny Hermoso, the star player and captain of the Spanish team, has divided opinion across the globe. To his critics, Rubiales is a potent symbol of sexism, of toxic masculinity, a man of authority, humiliating a woman in a scene that's provocative, evocative of the power plays they face every day. To his supporters, though, he's a man who's losing everything over a single moment of over-exuberance, celebrating winning the World Cup. He's now carrying the can, it appears, for bigger issues which are far beyond his control. That's what his supporters say. Well, tomorrow, you can make your own minds up. You'll watch the full world-exclusive interview right here on Talk TV on Piers Morgan Uncensored at 8pm. But 24 hours before it airs, we're already making headlines across the planet. And this is why, despite facing a wave of attacks from colleagues, celebrities, even his own prime minister, Rubiales steadfastly refused to quit and insisted he wasn't going to. And then, during my interview, to my surprise, he said this. You've come under ferocious pressure for three weeks now on you and your family. It's been very difficult for your daughters, they're young girls. I can only imagine as a father myself, I have a daughter who's around the age of one of your girls. Incredibly difficult. There comes a point, perhaps, when the pressure is just so relent relentless that you do think about what you should do with yourself and your future. Many people think you should resign as president. What are you going to do? That's all. I love so much my daughters, um, and they, they love me so, so much. I, I'm very happy and I'm very proud of them, very, very proud of them. They are very near to me. About my resignation, yes, I'm going to do. I'm you're, going, going, you're going to resign? Yeah, I'm going to, yes, because I cannot continue my work for, for two or three, or three reasons. First of all, I have a suspension, and this suspension is just starting 
and it's going to continue, I'm sure, because if you can see how it was done, it's going to continue. At the same time, um, I think that the, the Federation, is not a question about if I can support or not this mediatic uh, tsunami. It's about to know how it's going to affect to the Royal Spanish Football Federation. And I love my country and I love football. And I don't want damage for them. Well, most people around the world have only seen a short clip of that kiss. There's been a rush to judgment, which, in my opinion, is understandable. It looks bad. He shouldn't have done it. As we've discovered, and as everybody will discover tomorrow, it's a complicated issue. Hermoso says the kiss was not consensual, but that wasn't what she said in the immediate aftermath. She's now filed a criminal complaint for sexual assault. Is that what that was? There's no denying it. The rhetoric has changed. First, Hermoso downplayed it. Unexpected, but no big deal. And then there was this video on the team bus afterwards where she's clearly laughing about it. They all are. They all start chanting Bezo Bezo, which is Spanish for kiss, kiss, kiss. And then Prezi Prezi, which is the president, Rubiales, who then appears rather sheepishly. And he talks about all this in my interview tomorrow. There's no sign, is there, with this video that they all believe a terrible assault has happened that's going to become a global scandal that will cost Rubiales his job. That's not to mean that they may not have reflected in the morning when they saw the attention it was getting, overriding all that they'd achieved, that maybe they did then think, actually, this was wrong and we've been violated. I get that and I can understand that could be the case. Tomorrow's interview goes into all of this. Rubiales is honest, he's raw, he's passionate, he's definitive about some of these key questions and he doesn't leave anything in the locker, to use a football term. It might change some people's minds about him. It did mine. What's clear is that Rubiales has kissed goodbye to his reputation, has kissed goodbye to what should have been the crowning moment of his career. This is the greatest moment in Spanish football history. The men's team had never won the World Cup. He's now kissed goodbye to his job. But should he kiss goodbye to his liberty too? Is it right that Rubiales is now facing a potential criminal prosecution for that kiss? That is a debate that I can tell you from all the conversations I've had with people in the last few days. A lot of people have strong feelings either way. Well, tomorrow night, right here, Rubiales, uncensored, is a fascinating, gripping watch. You won't want to miss that. We're joining us to discuss all this is Daily Mail columnist Sarah Vine, making her uncensored debut, long overdue, I might add, especially given how uncensored you are, Ms Vine. Talk to me, contributor Esther Krakow. I'm a socialist author, Grace Blakely. Do you like being called that? Of course I do. I'm a proud socialist. You know that. You used to call me Moe Marxist, which was also quite fun. You, don't sound, <laughs> you just don't sound like it. You sound like the poshest socialist ever. Well, yeah, obviously. That's yeah. where Moe Marxist comes No, I know. I get it. It's just... <laughs> socialism with class. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Esther. <laughs> do you want to be my, my agent? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. You don't want that. You right. deal with peers all the time. Let's get to more serious matters, ladies. Uh, it's a great panel for this because, Sarah, let's start with you. Luis Rubiales got carried away. He admits it, right? And he's very frank about this in our interview tomorrow. And we go over everything at length. But what followed is now being categorised as sexual assault. Mm. 
Is that what we all witnessed? Well, I mean, all I can say is I've just seen the same clip that everybody else has seen, which is him sort of overexcited, grabbing her and giving her a big smack on the lips. And I can't say that... I didn't think there was an iota of sexualness in that. Sexualness? Mm. Sexuality, sexiness, right. whatever. I don't think it was sexual in any way. He was just very overexcited and just wanted to give her a big kiss on, on the lips because she'd done so brilliantly. Mm. I mean, everybody was kissing everybody. They were yeah. kissing the trophy. They the were Spanish. kissing each other. <laughs> exactly. There was just a lot of kissing mm. going on. It was quite kissy. I mean, I thought it was a bit vulgar that he grabbed his testicles in front of the Queen. Yeah, and, I suppose, and the you know, Queen's 16-year-old yeah, daughter. And, and the by the way, we discussed but, that, and he's very... You know, he's very open about how again, he feels about that, and that may surprise people. But but in relation to Jenny Hermosa, right, she is having the best moment of her career, mm -hmm. but for the next three weeks after that moment of crowning glory of them winning the World Cup, all that anyone has talked about is her being grabbed by the president of her football association with both hands yeah. and snogged on the lips. Now, to put it in perspective, if Prince William, who's a president of our football association, yeah. if when the Lionesses had won the Euros a couple of years ago, if when that had happened, William had done that to the captain of the Lionesses, I think all hell would have broken loose. Yeah. It could be an incentive also for them to do really well and win the football. If you look like Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously there's a cultural issue here because if this was the men's team and he as a male manager did that, they would have no problem because men footballers... And I asked him that. Um, I asked exactly. him about if it had been a men's team, would he have done the same exactly. thing? And his answer is really interesting. So it is complicated. It's, it's more it's, nuanced it's than people issue. think. It's a cultural issue, exactly. It's, it's, how, it's how men... It's, it's kind of brought into sexual dynamics and the minefield yeah. that it's now is. How it's now brought it to light. But I think because what's happened the, is this horrible sort of wormy sort of... Me too -y thing has yeah. got to her, hasn't it? Because she, she, you saw from the bus video, she doesn't seem that upset. They were all sort of shouting. No, what's well, going okay, on in that you context? Can only, you can I mean, only look. They, they clearly, look, they clearly noticed the fact that something had gone wrong because they were chanting "kiss, kiss, kiss." They, they were obviously doing like, it in "This an is a bit way. weird." They, it was the equivalent. Well, she's looking in that yeah, video on the this is on the bus <laughs> after they've left the stadium as world champions. They're all celebrating and drinking. She's looking actually at the split screen on her phone. One is Ike Casillas, the former Spanish goalkeeper, who had a similar kiss with a woman TV reporter who turned out to be his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And the other half is her being kissed by Rubiales. And they're all laughing and joking and chanting Bezo, Bezo, which is kiss, 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 and then Prezi, Prezi, right? It doesn't, on the face of it, look like they're all in trauma from yeah, his really. assault. Well, I mean, I, the, the point isn't whether or not they've been traumatised, and we can throw around this word isn't trauma it? as though... Isn't it? ..as though all sexual assault is supposed to kind of break a human being down to their very core and they're, like, lying on the ground crying. That's not how sexual assault happens. You know, you experience it in the moment. It's often shocking at first. At first, you maybe don't even process what's going on. Mm. You're a bit like, oh, someone's touched me in a strange way, but I don't want to make a fuss about it because I'm on the tube or I'm in a public space mm. or I've just won the Women's World Cup. So you kind of go along, and then eventually someone's like oh, was that a bit strange? And you're like, yeah, maybe it was a bit weird when that happened to me, mm. actually. Maybe I would have liked that situation to have taken place but a bit you know, differently. You know, and I think that's is, clearly what's happened the, the, the here. Because ultimately, here is... I just quickly want to say this yeah. before we, we go on. The only thing that mattered after this happened was that um, he lost the support of his team and he overtook all of the publicity that had happened well, that, about this positive event. And that's what really should have been the crux. He should have stepped down that, for that reason. Well, I don't think he should have stepped down, but I think for most people watching that, the fact that he kissed all of them, basically, he didn't yeah, single I mean, her out. Yeah. Uh, if he just apologised, exactly. this would have gone away. I remember how he reacted initially. So on the night, and I played this to him in the interview, you know, he... he well, I, I reminded him what he said, but he calls everyone that criticises him dumbasses and blah, blah, yeah, exactly. He really goes on the attack, because mm. I think he genuinely is completely taken aback anyone would have a problem with it, right? Yeah. 
And I think that that's sincere. I think he just had no idea what he'd done. I think watching it, I was trying to think this morning, you know, I was talking to my wife about it. It was like, somebody you don't know that well. I mean, he does know them well, so it's a complicated thing. But if somebody came up and just kissed you on the lips, yeah. who's not your partner and not a, a member of your family or something, and even then, depending on the family member, it's weird, just, right? Just... Um, but I know people that have done that to me at parties sometimes, and you're like, what have you just done? Yeah. Why are you kissing me on the lips? It is, it is whether he meant any sexual intent yeah. is one thing. But it's one I don't, thing. I don't think he did. But, but it still has a kind of sexual element to it. But I think, it? I think it's not the same as, as someone coming up to you randomly and just kiss, kissing you on the lips. There was an event going on. Yeah. Everybody was celebrating. But he doesn't kiss any of the others on the lips. Well, I don't know. Maybe he, well, maybe he, doesn't. he just he, got he, so... He hugs them all and he kisses them on the, kisses them on the I cheek. I think you're right. I think if he had just said, look, I'm really sorry, I was just in the moment, yeah. I really didn't mean anything. He had a macho moment uh, yeah, He did have... He because just... I think he was just... Uh, maybe his mother who went on hunger strike. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which, by the way, my mother... I was with my mother at the weekend and she affirmed... In similar circumstances, she would also go on. Oh, really? Has she not had to do that yet? <laughs> she has come, I think, quite close. <laughs> she actually thought it was a good idea for my next inevitable scrape yeah. that she'd go on a media hunger strike. But also, the other thing is, is there was no subterfuge to it. I mean, I, I mean, I get what you say about sexual assault, but I tend to think that if people have got malicious intentions, they don't do it. In they don't do it in front of This is an important point, right? Yeah. Because whether or not you know, we can have this debate. Was it sexual? Did he mean to do something? I don't think that he probably meant to do something overtly sexual in front of that massive crowd that he thought was going to yeah, get exactly. in trouble. Exactly. But it's kind of not the point. The point is about bodily autonomy. It's about who is allowed oh, Grace, to touch here's, you. Grace, here's in... the question. Should he have lost his job over it? No. For, for the kiss? Never mind the fallout, but the Well, I mean, kiss. I think the moment... If he had done the kiss and the players had come out and said, we were fine with this, it was a common thing that we do all the time, it's quite normal, culturally it's, it's appropriate and it's fine, whatever, then that would have been one thing. The fact is that that wasn't what happened. They came out eventually after, you know, a period of reflection mm. and said, we're not comfortable with this, we're not okay with this. And ultimately the only thing that matters is that he lost their confidence. And she did this say, to be fair to Jenny... Them. Yeah, about to, them. And to be fair to Jenny Hermosa, there, she is heard saying on the night, I didn't like it. Yeah. Right? So... I don't think she's, you know, I think she's probably wrestling with what this is really happening. I think he gave her a special gift because she scored the goal. Mm. Like, I think that was it. Like, because we mentioned that he didn't kiss <laughs> anyone else on the list. I was like, you want it? Oh, you are a superstar. You are particularly brilliant. You know what yeah, I mean? I think, I, I, okay, I think, but let me, let me ask you this. So, Grace, so you think he should have lost his job? I think when he lost the confidence of the team, then he should have stepped down. There's right, so 81 no members of the women's team and then the men joined in, they weren't going to play again if he was so present. So the position becomes rapidly okay. untenable. It's just, yeah, but obvious. should it now be considered a crime? She is now well, pushing no. for him to be well, prosecuted. Is... She had 14 days to decide if she wanted to be party to him being criminally prosecuted, and she took that option. Now, that's where I... In this whole story, I'm like, hang on, hang on. Well, he, all right, he loses his job. He was inappropriate and wrong. He's admitted that. He's not hiding it. We all saw what happened, mm -hmm. right? But is this really a criminal act? Well, look, we had... Uh, the last time I was on the show, when you were away, discussing this topic, there was a Spanish football journalist on who was talking about the context for this. And this is really important because Spain had recently passed a law that outlining the ways in which it was and wasn't appropriate to touch women, to touch people... Uh, in, you know, in the context mm. of sexual harassment. And this was seen as coming after the passing of this law, which said you're not allowed to touch or kiss people in these ways without their consent. Mm. And if you do, then, you know, he action can be taken He, just you. to be clear, so it... just to be clear, and he referenced <coughs> this in our interview, he believes that she did give consent for the kiss. Now, she says otherwise, but he is adamant 
that she did. So there's a well, clear... That obviously there's a he the said, question. she said, right? And it may be impossible to get to the bottom of that. Well, it's very difficult because you're dealing with passionate moments. People don't tend to fill in forms in triplicate asking for consent right. when, when yeah. their blood is up and when they're over... Well, let me give an example. Look, last so week, Paul Gascoigne yeah. met Prince William randomly mm. at a homeless event down in Bournemouth where he lives. And he just went up and kissed Prince William, mm. right? I don't remember him asking him if he could, no. right? Well, the, so, the in is... other words, this kind of interaction... It, you know, it did make me feel like... I'll be honest, it made me feel a bit uncomfortable watching what he was doing. Yeah. And I think when he looks back on it, and the crotch grabbing in front of the Queen and her 16-year-old daughter... It, it, I, no, no, thanks. This is a ridiculous way for a president of a football association to, to behave crazy. on the biggest stage in the world, particularly when your team's just won. Yeah. Yeah. But what are you doing? It's not about you. Um, but I can buy into the idea he just got completely carried away because they won the World Cup. I don't know the what, if Arsenal win the Premier League next season. Well, this season jump I don't know who I may jump up and kiss <laughs> randomly. But I, mean, the I sincerely hope none of you are in my proximity. <laughs> but footballers sort of practically assault each other on exactly. the pitch. Well, exactly. Well, I think you, know, you have to again, like, learn to. We have, we have to separate intention from the outcome. I was just about and to ultimately, say. the law is done, and that's what we're talking about right now, yeah. it's not done based on intention, really, other but than no, in certain are, cases. But no, no, but that's other wrong. Than in that's wrong. Great, great. Notwithstanding, I think you make some very good points, unusually, I have to say, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I can almost buy into. Uh, just in your gut, do you think he was trying to make any kind of assault on her or had any sexual motive for what he I did? I don't think this was about sex. And actually, I don't think that a lot of sexual assault cases are about sex. We know they're not. They're often but about power. power. I knew you were going to say are. that. They are. They are about... Well, I mean, well, he, he was the president of the Football Association yes. there. I mean, it's there's no doubt there is a power dynamic. He is, he's often, the ultimate boss, right? Exactly. It's about men thinking that they have some sort of hold or charge or mm. ownership over another person's body. Um, and sometimes that has a sexual element to it, sometimes it doesn't, but it's often just an unthought of... Does it, all right, but Sarah, Sarah, does it... What if does it in a, in a strange way... Look, it may be a conversation women have to have, by the way, right, with each other about this, because whenever men poke their heads into this, it's a bit of a yeah. bear pit. I do... I've thought for a while... Because Me Too was so extreme in the way yeah. that it sort of lacerated people, and then it, I, you felt like the pendulum swung back a little bit, and it was a conversation women had to have amongst themselves about, well, what do we really think about this? My question would be about this, is if we perceive what he did, knowing what we know, and knowing he did it all in the full glare of the world's media, uh, if we perceive that to be a sexual crime, are we diminishing what many people would see are much more serious yes, sexual think, crimes. I think, I think you are. I think absolutely that is definitely the case. I think a lot of these... Uh, with Me Too, there's, as with all these things, there's always a real grain of truth. Mm. It always comes from somewhere. Mm. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere. But what happens is people grab onto it and then it becomes a sort of crazy thing and then even the tiniest thing is not allowed. It does seem like and it has just, just gone too yeah, far, yeah. Yeah. I think. It's a bit like the trans thing, you know. Mm. There's, a, there's a really serious issue there that's very yeah. important for a very small number of people, but then it turns into a kind of massive row and culture wars and it's a disaster. I, I think that, you know, there's an element in which <laughs> there's, uh, there's a parallel in the sense that most of the time, the boundary is fairly clear, right, in terms of what is and isn't sexual assault. And yet we often see the situation where the media picks up and goes with, for a very, very long time, a kind of a, an edge case, a fringe yeah. case, a, fr a case where you're like, oh, was this or wasn't this? And then that's used to undermine the processes and systems that are used to, let's say, support trans people or prosecute sexual assault. And now we live in a country, bear in mind, where 99% of rape cases just 
there's there's no justice for the victims whatsoever, and that's partly because of the way our legal system's. I mean, the unusual, the unusual, the unusual thing here is we all saw what happened. Yeah. Right. So there's nothing that we need. There's nothing more to see, really. I mean, yeah. there's a bit of interaction. He says from some slightly different angles where he says that she lifted him up, and he says, "Can I give you a peck?" Yeah. And she says, "Yes." And maybe she didn't hear that. Maybe she misunderstood him. Maybe it's just a complete breakdown in communication. But certainly, if you look at the events afterwards in the dressing room where they're all partying, on the bus where they're all partying, I, you just don't get a sense I mean, that anyone thinks something really bad's gone down here. But in a way, this is a microcosm of what happens in a lot of these cases, which is that, you know, he doesn't think he's done anything wrong. Mm. He, he's misread the signals, clearly. Yeah. She, because she says she's a victim, we now have to say you are a You're victim. A victim yeah. but, she, but I don't think she's a I victim. Think, I think maybe uh, other people don't. So then, so then we get to this awful thing where everybody is like, well, you can't say she's not a victim because mm. she yeah. is a victim because she says she's a victim. But you say, but I see, I saw what yeah. happened. Who yeah. commits sexual assault? Yeah. On, on, and I, and I. Well, look, talking of victims, I do want to just take a bit of time out for Mr. Bates. It's been a great debate, by the way. Um, just to mention, my heart goes out to this guy. He's a guy called Martin Daubney. He's a, a GB News uh, presenter. Um, it's a, a, another network, apparently. I've, I don't watch it. Um, he's a former Brexit Party MEP. And he recently tweeted a few months ago some thoughts about me in relation to COVID. Uh, I'd said that once the science changed about COVID and it was revealed that the vaccine didn't stop you transmitting the virus, I'd changed my view about punishing people who wouldn't have it by removing some of their rights. And I look back at it all and had a rethink about some of it, which I think is the right way to approach things in a democratic society. You're not always right about everything, much as I tend to have a very high percentage. Um, but he said this, Morgan blindly regurgitated propaganda and utterly failed as a journalist. We can imagine how hurt I was to read this, um, to be called a journalistic failure by Martin Dormley. But the great thing is he had a chance uh, at the weekend to show me what journalism really is, because Martin happened to be in the GB News hot seat uh, when we had the terror sub, uh, suspect was uh, caught, I think, and, and he had the job of just bringing the very simple task, because the easiest thing in this job is breaking news. You just basically people talking your ear and you repeat it on air and you just keep calm and you just do your thing. This is what Martin, who is my journalistic tutor, this is what he did. We're going straight to me. This is breaking news. It's fast happening. Because as we just said, um, we, we, the, the terror man... <laughs> it's all gone wrong. It's here. Chip Chapman, uh, we have him coming up soon on the arrest of the terror suspect. He, he escaped from Wandsworth Prison and he's been apprehended. It's all coming up in GB News. We've got our first guest. Here it is. Police have escaped, have arrested prisoner Daniel Khalif. Beg your pardon, we're getting the autocue in the right place. This story is just happening. Joining me now for the latest is GB News Home Security Editor Mark White. Are you there, Mark? It's Chip Chapman. We have Chip Chapman, Army um, for the Army Anger, former head of counterterrorism, Major General Chip Chapman. Well, I can quite... <laughs> I can quite see why Martin views himself as a, a journalistic man. scholar. Oh, uh, who else could bring Terror Man into a subject <laughs> like that? Um, a brilliant masterclass, I think, in journalism uh, and had a couple of breaking mm. news from Martin Dorman. I will try better, Martin. Mm. I mean, you're right. I am a failure um, and I will try better. I will watch that video. Actually, I will watch that video every day, probably for the rest of my natural life as a template in how to cover breaking news because you, my friend, you are the master. 
So thank you. Uh, thank you to my pack. Don't leave us alone next time. <laughs> it was pure drop the dead donkey, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. I mean, literally, <laughs> if you were doing a parody... I it better. If you were doing a parody of somebody yeah. cocking up breaking news, old Daubers, he would, he would win the Parody of the Year award. Uh, thank you to my pack. Tomorrow night, you're going to watch it, the Rubiales oh, interview? Yeah. yeah, definitely. It is very interesting. And, it, and he, I think it's a really interesting debate about all these issues. It's kind of a debate of our times. But thank you, Pat. Good to see you all. Uncensored next, Rory Stewart's sensational new memoir is making headlines for exposing the inner omnishambolic workings of Westminster and Whitehall. And join me after the break, we're going to be live here in the studio. Previous employment section of his CV, my next guest list soldier, diplomat, charity CEO, award-winning travel writer, Harvard professor, and most recently Britain's top podcaster. But his role as politician is the subject of his new book, Politics on the Edge, which records in full uncensored fashion the complete omni-shambles at the heart of our British political system. Well, making his uncensored debut, I am genuinely delighted to have probably the most liked politician in Britain. But the bar is low, Rory Stewart. The bar is very low. <laughs> Let's start with that, because you've got out of politics. Mm -hmm. Many people, a lot of my family, um, wish you hadn't, wish you were right in the front line of the thing. Mm. Why did you eventually just say, I'm just done with this? I, 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 I met the end with Boris Johnson. Mm. I mean, that, that was the end for me. And I, I, you know, put in a good nine years. I'd been a cabinet minister. I'd, um, I liked Theresa May. I thought mm. she was trying to do the right thing. But... I really thought that Boris Johnson was a dangerous thing. I thought he was a shambolic clown. I thought he was going to be very damaging for our constitution. And, and he I was. And, and I felt he was, yeah. I mean, that's exactly how he turned out to be. I mean, you were very prescient in your assessment of him, which led you to leave. I guess the problem is, if people like you don't want to stay in our system, it's never going to improve. It's a difficult balance, isn't it, Piers? a really difficult balance. You, you put up with a lot. You work out how much you can put up with, and at some point you have to be like, enough's enough. You, I mean, you're, you're quite direct about some of our former leaders. Of Theresa May, she had some of a monarch's stiff authority. Not necessarily a, a negative, I guess. David Cameron, later in Kabul, you write, he came across like a host at a pheasant shoot, rented only for the day, courteously presiding, without any particular desire to know about the detail of the soil on which he was standing or about the professionals whose job it was, was to drive the game. I mean, a real picture of superficiality there from that Prime Minister. Yeah, I, I, I thought that um, when I came in, that one of the things that struck me first, and it's probably something you see a lot, and the public sees a lot, is fundamentally a lack of seriousness. Mm. Uh, it really has become like a massive campaigning communications mm. game. And there isn't any time really to talk about policy. You would have thought that secretly they might take their masks off and they get around the cabinet table and they're like, OK, enough with going out to the media. Mm. What do we really think about this? But it happens so rarely. I mean, the worst by miles of all your stories, it might be the worst thing I've read in a long time. Liz Truss, and you write this, back in London, Liz Truss asked me how my weekend had been. I explained that my father had died. She paused for a moment, nodded, and asked when my 25-year environment plan would be ready. I, I read that and I thought, I can't believe I'm reading that. And then I thought, actually, yes, actually, I can believe I'm reading that. Because Liz Truss always exuded an air to me of somebody who probably would behave like that. 
yeah, it, without a shred of decency or basic humanity. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I think she's um, she she's a very unique human being. I, I had a I worked for Liz Truss. I worked for Priti Patel. I worked for Boris Johnson, and it was a real education. But that it, moment, it, it, yeah. Well, that, that was very sad for me. I mean, obviously, I love my father deeply. Of course. And, and I was... Um, but I think that's, but more, the, but that, the that's, total... more, that's more awkwardness. I think she's somebody who... But that's not awkward. That's just a total lack of basic humanity yeah, I, and manners, I, I, isn't I it? I think she's somebody who doesn't relate very easily to other people. Mm. And maybe that's... Maybe I'm psychologising too much, but, yeah. Rishi Sunak, you call Machiavellian. Why do you call him that? I think probably because I sensed... I, I used to sit next to him in the library in the mm. House of Commons, big kind of wooden library, and he was my library partner. So I was quite fond of him. Um, but I didn't quite get why he'd suddenly gone hard for Brexit. And particularly, even when I got round that, and I, I understand many of my friends voted Brexit, I couldn't get round him getting in behind Boris Johnson so hard. Because he'd seemed to me quite a sort of thoughtful, serious... He seems the kind person. of serious guy you're yeah. talking about. yeah. He does. But I, but I agree. If I, was, if I was talking to him, which I do occasionally, the Brexit thing, I didn't understand why he would be that supportive. And I agree about Boris. I guess, I guess if Boris is the leader, you either fall in behind or you do what you did and just get out of it, right? But he, he fell in behind pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I found it difficult is that it was the MPs who made it possible for Boris. Because if you remember in this leadership contest, you needed the MPs to vote for him first. And... Basically, there were a whole middle group of MPs, and you'd say to them, we know him very well, we've worked with him, I'd worked with him in the Foreign Office, we know that he doesn't really pay attention, we know he's pretty careless about a lot of stuff. You don't really think he'd be a good Prime Minister, do you? And they'd say, no. So, so why are you supporting him? And they'd say, because he's going to win. But hasn't politics always been full of charlatans and unprincipled people? And if we accept that that's a bitter reality, not all. I've met some very decent people in politics, actually. Um, but it's not entirely surprising that people like Boris Johnson, Donald Trump and others, in a televisual age, the ones who can crack a joke and make people laugh, sure. who have a little bit less of the robot about them than sure. people thought Theresa May was robotic, it's not entirely surprising that they rise to the top and have a constituent that will support that. No, it's not surprising. Politics always had charlatans and bluffers. And I think we, people like me, from the kind of centre ground of politics, have a lot to answer for. I think 2008 financial crisis showed that we'd mismanaged the economy. Mm. I think Iraq and Afghanistan were horrible foreign policy humiliations. And so I think people like Trump or Johnson are responding to a genuine public anger these guys screwed up. They didn't know what they were doing. The problem is what people are choosing to do is throw them like a hand grenade at the system. Mm. But, it, I mean, in Trump's case, it's effective. He just tears up any rules that have gone before. He doesn't care, and he has a constituent audience that don't really care what he does or what he says. Yeah, I, I think it's true for both of them. But I, I think that to counter that, there's always going to be people like Donald Trump or Boris mm. Johnson around What's lacking is the seriousness in the kind of middle ranks of politics. Mm. And, and that's why I think the system feels so broken. What do we do about it? How do we fix it? I think we have to decentralise. We have to take power out of Westminster. Mm. I'm very excited by, you know, the mayor of Manchester, mm. mayor of West Midlands, and yeah, Maddie Street. And I think we've got to get out of this Victorian idea that a bunch of amateurs sitting in Parliament are going to be able to micromanage the country. Mm. You were a tutor to Prince William and Prince Harry. So what do you feel about what's happened with those two? 
So I, I don't talk about it. It's the one no, thing I know, I that's why I've about. asked you. <laughs> it's, it's the one thing so I no, don't The talk show's about. called Uncensored, Rory. <laughs> don't come on here and start self-censoring. What's the matter no, with you, man? I think if I'm teaching them, I, I owe But them, just on a human level. I owe them confidentiality. I like them both very much. They're a lovely boy. Do you feel sad about what's happened? They, they, I, they I, now hate I, each other so much they don't even talk to each other. I, I definitely feel sad, yeah. Is that as far as you're going to go? As far as I'm going to go. Who was, who was the brighter? <laughs> as far as I go. Well, you were their tutor. As far as I'm going to go, that's not my job. From, from a military perspective, when I watch Harry doing his Invictus Games thing, I think, good on you. When I think about his service to his country, I think, good on him. Yeah. You know, my brother-in-law taught them both at Sandhurst, yeah. actually, um, and thought they were both good soldiers. Um, but when I see him, the other half of him, running around the world, trashing his family and the monarchy and everything, I can't stand it. Yeah, I, 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 I sympathise a lot of what you're saying. I'm a big supporter of the King, I'm a big supporter of the Prince of Wales, I'm very proud of the royal family, and I think that's very, very sad. Should he stick to stuff like the Invictus Games and just shut up trashing the royals? I'm staying out of this one. Pete. You effectively just, <laughs> you effectively just <laughs> said you agree. Huh? I, no, I, I agree with a lot of things he said. As his former tutor. I, no, just, you're dragging me too deep. You'll sell some books here, Rory. Come on, a bit of, bit of uncensored honesty. Let's take a break. I want to talk to you after the break. It's 9-11 anniversary today. And I want to ask where you were when it happened, but also it, it prompted you to go on this extraordinary two-year walk through Afghanistan and other countries. I want to know why you did that, what you learned, what we should all learn perhaps from that period. That's after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. That's my new uh, eight-part crime documentary series, which airs in America on Fox Nation. Uh, interesting stories, some very dangerous people sitting, well, unnervingly close to me at times, uh, but well worth watching if you're in the States. I'm back with Rory Stewart here, the uniquely popular and liked British political figure. Um, Louis Rubiales, I wanted to ask you about that, because everyone's talking about this. This guy. And you've managed to get an interview with him. Yes, so I've got a big interview with him airing tomorrow night. We got the first interview, and it was very interesting. He was very open, very frank about it. He said, look, I, I was an idiot. I shouldn't have done it. What do you feel, though, about him potentially facing a criminal prosecution now for the kiss? Um, I actually quite sympathise with the lady at the end there Grace. who was saying that um, it's quite possible that the woman at the time might not really have felt very much, but that afterwards you can feel very, very disturbed. I mean, look, I, it's very difficult to judge. 
Spain, different mores, different cultures, but I think you've got to be pretty careful about that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting sign of the time that it's created such a furore, yeah. actually. 9-11, it's the 22nd anniversary uh, today of 9-11. I remember where I was. I was lying on a sofa recovering from back surgery and was supposed to be lying there for three weeks. It was about eight days in. I got a call from the Daily Mirror newsroom. I was the editor. I got straight in my car and drove to Canary Wharf, not even thinking that that might be a target itself. It was the most extraordinary day of my career and obviously horrendous in so many ways. Where were you when it happened? I was uh, walking across Asia. I'd been walking for uh, about a, a year and a bit, and I didn't understand what had happened. I, was, I met a guy sort of probably a couple of days after 9-11, and he started trying to explain to me in Nepali. <laughs> he said, you know, it's this tower in America and this plane hit it, and I thought this guy was crazy. I literally... So you, I, hadn't, you had no awareness of it at all? processing these words, but I was like, it's like he's telling me there's been some sci-fi attack in New York. So it wasn't until the 18th of September I was arrested and accused of being an al-Qaeda activist up on the uh, Tibetan-Nepali border. You are the least likely al-Qaeda activist I've probably ever so, met. So this is what I said. I said to the policeman, I said, <laughs> I'm not a very likely al-Qaeda activist. Mm. And he said, that's exactly why I think you are. It was like Inspector Clouseau. The walk that you were on, and you carried on for a long time, you did two years in the end. It's an extraordinary thing to do, to just walk and walk and walk and walk. What was the motivation for that? I had been a, briefly a British soldier, then I was a diplomat, and I felt that I was locked behind these embassy walls and we were getting involved in these other countries. We had no idea what was happening. So I walked across Afghanistan just after 9-11. I walked uh, through the winter of December, January, February, March, just the Taliban government fell. And it was changed my life, changed me as a politician, changed me as a diplomat, because I saw the gap between... These villages I was in, where women had not been more than two hours' walk from their village in their lives, where I could see drugs being traded, people with guns. And then I turn up in Afghanistan, in Kabul, and I hear the British government and the American government saying, every Afghan wants a gender-sensitive, multi-ethnic, centralised state based on democracy, human rights and rule of law. And I thought, I can't even translate that into language they understand. So my life was changed. I mean, 9-11 was a horrible event. But it defined the next 10 years of my life. I was in Afghanistan, I was in Iraq, I was working to advise the US government, and I was trying to stand up against what I saw as the madness of how people were responding. When you see what's going on in Afghanistan now with the Taliban just obviously taking back full control and oppressing women again in their millions, terrible poverty... What is the answer? I mean, Tobias Elba got into hot water for... Well, it was a very clumsy video he put out, but the central message that we should start engaging again with the Taliban, did you have some sympathy with that? I did have sympathy with that, because the truth is that when we sanction people like the Taliban, we don't change their behaviour. They're not trying to go shopping in Harrods. All you end up doing is punishing the Afghan people. These are some of the poorest people in the world. Very, very difficult to feed themselves over the winter, people selling their own organs to feed themselves. So... I think we can find ways of providing assistance to the Afghans without going through the government. And sanctioning the government just makes the area poorer and more unstable. And when you look at Ukraine, there's a sort of growing sentiment amongst some Republicans, to my surprise, in America, that America should yank the support, spend it at home, not on this latest foreign conflict. What's your view of, of what's happening there? I mean, do you think Ukraine can win? Is it incumbent on the West to ensure they can win? How far do we get involved? 
I fear that Ukraine is getting like the Iran-Iraq war, which dragged on for eight years. I think we're underestimating Russia's depth and strength and the nationalistic sentiment. I think it's going to be very difficult for Ukraine to break through the front lines. And even if they do, I don't think Russia's going away. And I think the threat to Putin isn't from the left, it's from the right. You tell a story uh, in your book of how as an MP you thought about killing yourself or of a story of your constituents' trousers that went viral. You gave an interview where he says some of the farmers in the more remote parts of his constituency hold their trousers up with twine. He got picked up and he's accused of being a posh, you are, of being a posh Tory who thinks his voters are country bumpkins. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a strange thing looking back at it over 12 years. I can see now that I was completely overreacting. What I'm trying to be honest about, I suppose, is as a new MP coming in, you feel a very special relationship with your constituents. I was very proud of Cumbria. I was very proud of the work I was doing. I said a stupid thing to a journalist, and suddenly it looks like I'm slagging off my own constituents. And I really felt everything had ended. I sort of felt... It's extraordinary that you would feel it so deeply. Mm -hmm. I mean, how close did you come to, to acting on that impulse? Um, it's the only time in my life I have felt like that. I was, I was walking down the street and I saw a lamppost and I thought, maybe I should hang myself in this lamppost. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very... It's the only time in my life, but it was... And I think it shows something... Because you felt you'd broken that bond of trust with the constituents? Yeah, I, probably. I, you know, I... I think a lot of this is about uh, the way that you exaggerate relationships with mm. people, but I felt that an MP with their constituents is like a, a priest or a, a doctor. You have a very special relationship and that if you break it you're you're breaking your vocation you know i mean i read it, it was a startling thing to read i have to say though in the context of the point you're trying to make i do want more politicians to feel that seriousness about that bond of trust with the electorate because if you don't have that if you treat the electorate with the kind of casual triviality that boris johnson did or the recklessness that liz trust did or whatever I think if you do that, democracy slowly starts to die. And if we don't have a strong democracy in this country, I don't know what we're left with. Thank you. And I think what I'm trying to do in the book, in, in, in Politics on the Edge, is to show, yes, a bit of humour, but above all to demonstrate that there is a big, big problem, that this is no way to run a government and that we need to reform. We need to reform our electoral system. We need to reform ministers going in and out every couple of months out of their jobs to have a serious country. And you know what else we need, Rory? We need you back in the game. You may not want to do it, but actually I think you should. Thank you. You're going to? Uh, I think it about it. just made you think about it I think more? about No, it has made me think about it more, and it's made me think that probably the way back in maybe is more local. As I say, I'm very envious of mayors. I thought about running to be an independent yeah. for mayor of London, and that's still something I think about a lot. Politics on the Edge, it's a fascinating... It's actually a pretty scary book, actually, because you lift the lid off what we all fear is lying underneath in our parliamentary system, and it's got to evolve and it's got to change. We need more people with your intellect and seriousness, I think, uh, than we currently have, and that would help enormously. Rory Stewart, thank you. Thank you. Thank and being you. uncensored. Well, uncensored next is George Pataki. He was a governor of New York City during 9-11. I'll be asking him if today's divided America betrays the legacy of the people who died that day.
Well, the events of 9-11 brought the US together like never before in modern history. It was a tragedy that seemed to unite politicians of both parties, as well as people from every part of the country in a spirit of patriotism and togetherness. Today, however, exactly 22 years since that fateful day, the nation remains arguably more divided than ever. So what happened? And can the disuniting of the United States be reversed? Well, here to discuss this is a man who was governor of New York on September 11th, 2001, George Pataki. Governor, great to have you on the programme, especially today. Thank you, Piers. Nice being on with you. It must bring back so many evocative memories for you, that awful day. Uh, awful day is the right word. You know, when I go down the ground zero, as I approach it, you just have this tremendous sense of loss. You know, the, the friends and people you worked with, the firefighters who died that day, and, it's, uh, and we'll, never, we'll never be able to bring them back. And uh, it's just uh, really uh, a sad day in that sense. But also, uh, you can't help but appreciate the, the courage to how New Yorkers and Americans responded that day in the weeks and months thereafter. And when I go down there as well, I see the, the life, the excitement, the vibrancy of Lower Manhattan. And that makes me proud that for all the horror, we've come back stronger than ever in Lower Manhattan. That is indisputably true. I'm in Manhattan a lot, and it's been remarkable uh, to see how that city... But it doesn't surprise me. New York's an incredible city with incredible people. It has that spirit about it. It reminded me of London after the Blitz and, and so on in World War II. But what's happened to the unity? That When America came together after 9-11, I'd never seen anything quite like that. I remember George Bush. I think we've got a, a clip of George W. Bush, the president, throwing the first pitch at the Yankee Stadium. And this was what happened. <laughs> So this was the president at the time, George W. Bush, uh, being unanimously cheered by a roaring Yankee Stadium. And, Governor, when you see that, that couldn't happen anymore. Things are so toxic now, so tribal, so partisan, that whoever's president, no-one's going to get that kind of response. And the latest poll shows 65% of Americans believe America's never been so divided. Do you feel that? And if so, what is the answer? Uh, Piers, absolutely I feel that. And that's, one of, that's the second tragedy of September 11th. One was who we lost that day, but the second is how a country that was the most unified in my lifetime is now the most divided I've ever seen it in my lifetime. And uh, I think, uh, I don't mean to be overly simplistic, but it comes down to leadership. You need to have a leader, leaders who look to inspire the people with a common destiny going forward and instead... Uh, for years now, we've had just partisan division aimed at my party winning more than the other party. And instead of bringing us together from the top down, it's been about divide for political benefit. And I think that is a tragedy that uh, has hurt this country. But I don't think it's irreversible. You know, the spirit of the American people is still there. The belief in the future of this country is still there. We just need the right leader. I mean, you talk about the right leader. You know, President Biden is not in America on 9-11. He's in Alaska on his way back from his foreign travels. I've just seen reports that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is at ground zero, that Kamala Harris is there, but not the president of the United States. Does that surprise you? Um, it's disappointing, more than surprising. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think 
uh, President Biden wants to have anything to do with September 11th. You know, uh, first of all, it resulted in the Afghanistan war, uh, and how that ended under Biden's watch was a catastrophe that uh, we're going to be paying for for years to come. And uh, the terrorists uh, came to America, and now we have an open border. And, and we know that hundreds of people on the terror watch list have crossed the southern border. And I fear that because of this absence of leadership, something will happen again. So it's disappointing Biden was there. It doesn't surprise me. I think he wants to distance himself from this as much as possible, but he can't. He's the president of the United States. We need him as a leader. A lot of people around the world are looking at the next American election and thinking, is it really going to be Biden-Trump again? Is that the best America can offer? One guy's got nearly 100 criminal charges that he's facing. The other one barely looks like he knows what day it is. Um, do you share that sort of disquiet, that this is the best of the best in America? Absolutely, I share that disquiet. But uh, I'm an outlier, Piers, in the sense that I don't think either one of them is going to be the nominee. I think uh, the Democratic leadership that helped Biden, basically put Biden in in 2020 because they knew Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris were all losers and they Governor, rallied behind Biden. We've I run think out of time. That same I'm attitude sorry, very Governor, quickly. We've run out of time. I'd love to get you back because I'm really enjoying this conversation. Please come back another time. It's been great having you on Censored. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pierce. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.